This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. That one you're dedicated to all the bicycle riders, seen? Bicycle rider, bicycle rider. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Trust me, riding a bike is better. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Everybody should ride bicycle. Good morning and welcome to this edition of the Yarra Bicycle User Group Radio Program on Community Radio 3CR 855M Digital, streaming and available on TuneIn, cute little app that you can get to listen to on whatever device you feel like. And uh, Yarra Bicycle User Group Radio, we're a show coming to you from 3CR, as I just mentioned, from Melbourne, Australia. And we're a show about uh, cycling, riding and related transport issues. And um, I've always got to say thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of current affairs. My name's Chris and uh, I've got a full studio today. I've got uh, Steve's in. Morning. I've got uh, Rishi. Hi. And um, you want to say hello? Ben. Yeah, hi, uh, Ben here, Rishi's partner as well. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a really full studio. So also I'm going to be speaking to uh, Alan Todd from Freestyle Cyclists about a ride coming up this Saturday and some interesting uh, feedback they've got from the media and uh, authorities about their ride. Anyway, Rishi, thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Um, so we've got to give a bit of an intro of who you are and what you do. You want me to introduce myself? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so my name's Rishi. I'm uh, here on the basis of being an endurance cyclist. I'll be racing this year in the transcontinental race, which is a solo bike packing race across Europe, starting in Belgium and ending in Greece. And really, the, the question most of us be asking is, you know, what what really attracted you to um, endurance cycling? Because most of us, like, you know, kind of ride from the inner north to somewhere else in the inner north, <laughs> or, you know, ride to, you know, a friend's place, whatever. Um, you know, uh, I think the attraction? Um, it, it, was, it was kind of an accidental discovery, my love of riding really long. Um, I started out mountain biking, and I always swore that I would never, ever buy a road bike. Um, but I did because I wanted to use it for training originally and then I found out that I actually really enjoyed um, being able to go out and go on an adventure to go like as a to go on a destination go to a destination so um, for me riding for a really long time means that you get to explore so I really enjoy that adventure aspect of um, endurance cycling yeah and there'll be a whole bunch of other people riding with you uh, generally, no. I do most of my riding at the moment. I do on my own because the racing that I'm doing is on my own. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Steve, you were at the launch the other night for the Indian Pacific, which is another similar. Yeah. Speaking of riding for long distances, the um, Indian Pacific Wheel Race, uh, coincidentally, this yeah, yeah. <laughs> starts this weekend in Fremantle. So, for those armchair adventurers uh, amongst us. Um, the Indian Pacific starts in Fremantle on the 18th and if you go to indianpacificwheelrace.com you can actually follow all the little dots as people, uh, the dots representing um, suffering sweating cyclists riding <laughs> from Fremantle to Sydney. 
and it pretty much follows the uh, south coast. Now, I did a bit of an interview with um, Jesse Carlson from mm. Curve Cycling, who's the race organiser, and we'll be hearing that on the show in future episodes. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it now. Yeah. Um, so, so like, people, like, would you have a transponder on you? Yeah, yeah. so it, it's of the same premise as the Indian Pacific wheel race in that every every rider does carry a tracker mm-hmm. and all those trackers will show up online and you can follow the dots. The difference being between these two races is that the Indian Pacific wheel race is a single route, so everyone will follow the same route, mm. whereas the transcontinental, there are four designated checkpoints you have to pass through, but in between those points, you need to do your own routing and navigation. Mm. So you'll see the dots all going different directions to get to the same locations. A bit more of a braided path we'll see. Yeah, it, it's an added uh, difficulty in having to spend many hours in front of the computer um, organising your route. <laughs> yeah, and obviously programming your um, GPS yeah, device yep, to yep. follow a route. Yeah, and hoping that you've researched it well enough and don't end up on dirt roads. Mm. Which does happen. Yeah. Yes. Or, or find yourself at the wrong side of a river or canal that yes. you can't yes. get across. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard when you're in, in countries that you are not, you don't know much about to decide which way to go. You don't or, know which towns would be the best to pass through. and Or can't speak the language well, to that, people that, yeah. that might help you with advice. I've found that um, the, the showing of an empty drink bottle is usually enough for people to realise that you want water. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, fortunately the cycle culture in Europe is a little... Yes, I uh, found different. that the attitude towards cyclists in Europe is very different to Australia. Um, I did the race last year and I didn't nev- never felt unsafe from traffic ever. Yeah, yeah, most people give you a very wide berth and are very friendly. So, and mm. the general attitude once people understand that you're on a some form of Grand Quest yeah. race was that oh, was that uh, it's amazing. Um, people people are. At first, they can't believe that you're doing what you're doing, but once they know what you're doing, if they can understand you, they want to. They want to help you. Um, I was in France in in a town getting some food, and I didn't speak French, and they don't speak English, but they could see that I was on a bike, and they and I could see that they wanted to know how far I had ridden that day. Mm. So I got. They gave me a pen and paper, and I wrote down 300 kilometres. And the looks on their faces, they they and they were talking amongst each other. They couldn't believe it, and I yeah, and I, I told them I'm still going further. So, yeah, yeah, but they but tend- they wanted to help, and they wanted to make sure I had enough water and get me back on my bike. Yeah. And, yeah. They do tend to understand the, the the cycle race as a competitor. They understand the um, the, the the riding for transport, but yeah, distances yeah. they don't ha- they don't comprehend the same. No, and and especially when you're on your own as yeah. a woman mm. as well, people yeah. people they ask you you know how are you doing this on your own. Mm. I'm just going to take a quick break. Yep, and we'll be back with more of Rishi, and we're going to talk a little bit how you actually train. Sure, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> For progressive people around the world, it's been a hard start to the year. Trump is rolling out his racist agenda, inspiring increased racial, religious and gender-based hatred across the globe. It really is time to rally together to fight for a better world. There is power in numbers and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 8377 or pay online 3cr.org.au 
forward slash subscribe. And you're back listening to 3CR. You listen to Yarra Bosque Users Group Radio. Go talk a bit about how you train. I mean, how do you how you train up for something so long? Um, okay, so I first started training for this sort of riding just over a year ago when I decided I was going to do transcontinental in last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, at first it was just about increasing the kilometres, so just going out on longer rides, like getting to the point where 200 kilometres was like a 100-kilometre ride and then making 300 kilometres the next step. Um, now I'm at the point where I'm doing – I ride pretty much every day except I'll have one day off a week – and I'll do in high interval, high intensity interval training during the week and then long rides on the weekend. And then occasionally I'll also add in some overnight rides. Like next weekend I'm doing a 600-kilometre overnight ride, practising with all my gear. So I'll take all my lights and my bags and, and then practise, you know, eating along the way. And I've planned out a route, so, yeah, practise everything all at once. It's almost like getting into Audax raid territory, 600s and above. I mean, yep. Audax is a, a thing that's been going in Australia and overseas for a very long time to do with, you know, long, longer rides and extended stuff and going on adventures. Yeah, I um, use Audax a lot for my training, so I'm a member of Audax Australia. Mm. And I, I try to do as many of their rides as possible because it's a really um, good way of getting in some training in a, in a relatively safe environment because you know that there's always people behind you if something goes wrong. Um, and with the checkpoints and navigating between, it's a good opportunity to, to mm. practice. Well well planned out, usually. Very well planned out and always in different areas because there is the risk with doing this much training that I'll get bored. So <laughs> having different locations to go and ride in, you know, definitely breaks that monotony. Yeah, I'm not doing laps of beach road or the No. Of <laughs> yes. Yeah. So where would you head out to? Like yeah, somewhere like King Lake? Uh, yeah, King? I went to King Lake on Saturday. Um I like riding out near Bendigo and Ballarat, so I do all the Audax rides that are out there because there's some great roads that don't have very many cars and lots of towns with um, good bakeries. <laughs> yeah, I've heard the Maryborough uh, loops. It's very Audax nice. Audax ride, yeah, they're well yeah. organised. Around Avoca and, yeah. yeah, really nice area to ride. So you're looking for somewhere undulating so you get um, some good training yes. miles in your legs. Yeah, and and also when I can, I like to go out and do, do the mountain climbs. So, yeah, around Warburton, um, yeah. Lake Mountain, Donabuang, and, and then out to the Alpine region. So how are you going to support yourself in terms of you got any fundraising or things that you've got coming up, events? Um, I have a GoFundMe page, which uh, people have been very kind in donating towards getting me over to Europe because it's quite expensive to get the flights over and, um, and towards the costs of, of um, fueling the race as well. So Yeah, we can, we can pop those up on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Have uh, well, you got anything coming up, like any events where people can come along and see you or anything like that? Or? Um, not at the moment, but if I do, I will pay, post them to my Facebook um, Rishi um, Endurance Cycling Adventures page. Excellent. So any interesting anecdotes from like some of the things that you've done? You, you said you did one last year, the Transcontinental. So this yeah. is the Transcontinental 5. Yeah, so I did the race last year. Um, I made it eight days and 1,800 kilometres in and I collapsed halfway up a mountain um, with uh, severe heat exhaustion and dehydration and I got an ambulance um, to the nearest hospital and that was the end. <laughs> it took me about two months to recover. Um, that was my first ever endurance event, so I learnt a lot from that and it really made me want to go back and finish what I started. So I've been 
the training hasn't stopped since last year. I'm just continuing and trying to get to that point where I feel like I can achieve this ridiculous goal. It's got to, <laughs> it depends. It's to, it, it sounds like, to, you know, to me, it's like, you know, I'm a Hubbard commuter, whatever, you know, and I'm going, what an amazing adventure. It is. It's really amazing being able to pass through so many different countries all with different languages and cultures and, and you get to see so much along the way. Like I have so many memories from last year of just little moments in time which are just incredible. Like one morning I decided to get up and I, I left, uh, started writing at the day at 4 a.m. And that was my favourite day of the whole whole trip. Um, I got to descend as the sun was, sun was rising through this ridiculously beautiful um, valley in France. And I, I have that, that image of that valley just in my head permanently. It was incredible. And like you're going from Belgium to Greece. Yep. The terrain in Europe is going to rapidly alter from where you get, yeah, from flat to hilly to yes. bears and um, wolves and tigers. <laughs> um, but you were just saying um, about uh, drivers' attitudes in Europe. Yeah. Uh, what's wrong with Australia? Oh, <laughs> we, we just I can't like, answer that. I know. Every sorry. time I go to Europe and I come back to Australia, I get slightly depressed. We're just so pointlessly aggressive here. Yeah, there is a high level of aggression. Yeah. Yeah, but um, that just you just give something anything like you know how people treated or just sure. behave normally towards you while you're um, riding. Well, I found in most places I didn't get as far in I didn't get into Eastern Europe and I've heard that the driving there is slightly different to some of the countries that I was I was in but I found that the majority of the time I would I would slow down to let people pass me and they wouldn't pass because there wasn't enough room to go in the other lane like they would wait until the there was enough room in the complete opposite lane before they would go around me Uh, yeah I never had never had any problem at all it's almost like their driver's license tests and stuff over there. It's completely different. I think it is. I think they're more aware of bikes being on the road because ev- everyone rides a bike, whereas in Australia, people, not everyone rides a bike, and a lot of people view it as only a sport, where not as a transport. Also, you have all, a lot of the grand tours and stuff over there, yeah. having stages, you know, tour to this, tour to that, tour mm-hmm. to France, um, and a lot of the grand tours and that, and coming in, oh, this time of year, coming in for the spring classics. Um, they'd be used to seeing people just out. Yeah. Uh, but that's no... But not of... with uh, bags on their bikes. It <laughs> was true, a lot of curiosity yeah. when yeah. people would come and ask me what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. There, there are, are a lot of touring cyclists yes. as yes. well, generally in the countries that are um, much more picturesque. Yes, saw a lot in Switzerland. It's very popular. Yeah. 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 So your, your, distant, your, your distance history, how, did you, how have you stepped up in terms of events, have you done some other apart from last year's event? Yeah. Have did you do any of the the twelve hundred Ordex rides no. prior to <laughs> doing this? No. Any long? Any... I, I did a couple of three hundred k Ordex rides, right. and I did um, during my training last year. I signed up and started a six hundred, but I didn't finish because I was still testing all of my gear, and mm. I had some issues with my Achilles tendon, um, which was to do with the shoes I had at the time. Mm. So there's a lot of testing of gear yeah. with these long distance events and until you get everything right you yeah. get a lot of pain <laughs> yeah so you found things start to change from the 200 to the 600 yes, yes. yeah yep definitely yep so i plan to go back this year and do that same 600 mm. yeah so what would be your ultimate goal is to, is to finish or there's something you're working towards um the goal is to finish but i believe i'm now at a point where i can actually do quite well 
So I would like to be up with the top women contenders in the race, yeah. So is this kind of like uh, money or glory while you're doing the transcontinental? Non- <laughs> There's no money. <laughs> so this is, this is the great reason why you're doing it. It's like someone goes, oh, it's just a sport thing. Why are you talking about sport? Now, hang on, hang on, hang on. This is something completely different. Yeah, no. Yeah. For me, this is, a, this is a challenge of being able to go out and do something which originally I was really scared, terrified of. Before this, I'd never done any riding on my own before. So to go out into a country that into several countries on your own riding through the night riding through the day you don't know what's coming up you don't know where you're going to sleep you don't know where you're going to get food to be able to do that on your own and provide for yourself is is a chance to grow as a human i think yeah sounds like the paris breast paris in terms of you know that was it so uh, i remember about 2004 i was actually interested in doing it yeah and one of the best pieces of advice i think i heard was the seek company (laughs) <laughs> because yeah, because you know, we're used to kind of riding on a certain part of the road and yeah. getting there like sixteen hours in and starting to hallucinate. Find someone who's used to riding around Europe and they kind of keep you on the right side of the road and stop you from going into um, bushes and yeah. stuff. Yeah, seek, seek company. Seek company during the night. <laughs> so I've got no no chance for that. It's it's truly a solo <laughs> event. You don't see anyone else except so, for the checkpoints. So an ending up. Um, Transcontinental 05, people can look it up on the website. Yeah, Transcontinental. Can, uh, look for, was it Rishi Fox, Endurance Cyclist on Facebook, and you've got to go fund me. We'll link all this up. But all importantly, what's the dates? It starts on the 28th of July. So there's plenty of time to go to the GoFundMe and make sure that um, you've got adequate uh, supplies and support to go. Thanks very much. It's been fan- <laughs> fantastic because it's just like, you know, it's it's again choose your own adventure sort of stuff isn't it it's kind of a once in a lifetime sort of adventure well i've just kind of feel enthused listening to it because you know someone i can live vicariously through someone else's transponder point you can definitely (laughs) watch and follow for sure thank you so much thanks for having me okay hey are you wearing the latest 3cr t-shirt this summer We have a limited number of 40th birthday t-shirts for sale. Designed by local artist Emily Floyd, these awesome Radical Radio t-shirts are available from our studios at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. Or you can shop online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. For just $20 or $15 for kids' sizes, you can look great and help 3CR celebrate 40 years of Radical Radio. Today on Yarra Boss, we use Scoop Radio on Community Radio 3CR. I'm speaking to Alan Todd from Freestyle Cyclist about some upcoming events and also a bit of an overview of how the media and certain authorities are kind of reporting or commentating on a Freestyle Cyclist upcoming event. Good morning. Look, I'm uh, someone who's just used a bike all my life as a means of getting around. I've never been a cyclist in quote marks. From as young as I can remember thinking rationally, I thought the bike seems like a pretty sensible way to get around and with my Scots background, it's fairly cheap. That appeals to me. And uh, when I, I emigrated to Australia, actually in 1980, and did the same as I'd done in other places, used a bike. 
1990, I think I first came across it uh, in a newspaper article, I saw this thing saying that bicycle helmets were going to become compulsory on the 30th of June. And Wow, well I was living in a country town where nobody wore bike helmets and my gut feeling was this is a ridiculous overreaction, you know, I don't know anyone who's been hurt on their bike, they're like me, they just, you know, sit up, look where they're going and go to the shops, go home and cause no trouble. I also thought at that stage that Australians were a bit anti-authoritarian and larrikin in their natures, which is something I have been sorely disappointed to find out was not true. So I just carried on with 30th of June came and I carried on riding as usual and three months later after the grace period, ding, 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 stopped by the patrol car, why aren't you wearing a helmet? Issued with a fine. I thought, well I can't see this on radio, I thought, blast that. I'm not going to put up with this. This is silly. Surely they're not going to pursue people like me for a bicycle helmet. Just ludicrous. So over the next two years, I was actually stopped about 40 times by the police and talked to. Oh, yes. I had to develop strategies to avoid actually being issued with fines. And I did take one of my fines to the Kyneton Magistrates Court in 1992. And the magistrate thought I was a funny person. <laughs> issued the fine and sent me on my way. Undeterred, I have on and off uh, opposed this ludicrous restriction on cycling now for 26, 27 years. I've watched as the rest of the world has looked at Australia with their arms folded and said, we're not going there. And they've done it for the very reasons that struck me instinctively from day one. It's going to stop people riding bikes. It's going to make the people who do ride get a false sense of security. They'll probably ride a bit faster, a bit more recklessly. Drivers will say, oh, they're protected, I don't need to be that careful around them. So you shift the onus of protection onto the victim. You shift the onus, you actually shift the blame onto the victim. I mean, as a cyclist, like a pedestrian, you are vulnerable. And there's no post-crash mitigation like you get in a car. You've got a vulnerable physical body, and if you get hit, you're in trouble. So the only sensible thing for the cyclist to do is to avoid being hit. The only ethical thing for society to do is to design road systems and ensure driver behavior to ensure cyclists don't get hit. The bicycle helmet does none of these things of course and because of that it's failed to make cycling any safer in Australia, it's deterred people from cycling, the rest of the world stood back and most of them have said no. So I'm just wondering why when we launch a little, you know, maybe 50 people going to have a ride on Saturday to protest this, suddenly I've got the AMA, the I've lost my word there. Chief Health Officer. Yeah, the Victoria's Chief Health Officer. Uh, you know, I've got the Royal College of Surgeons all saying what a terrible, irresponsible person I am. You know, a reaction like that, you can be pretty sure you've scratched an itch. I was listening with great interest. Uh, it's about a week and a half ago. You had an interview with John Fane on Seven Seven Four, should say ABC Radio Melbourne. I've got rid of all the call signs. I was quite incredulous. Uh, I was thinking, I always thought John Fane was a pretty level-headed, take things from first principles sort of guy, and he got quite emotional, and, and there was a bit of um, you know, grab bag of stuff of, you know, you're in with, you know, you're in bad as anti-vaxxers and stuff like that, and I was just going, is this the issue? Is it the ABC turning into something else? Or, again, as you just said, have you actually um, hit something here very interesting? Mm. Yeah, I was a bit gobsmacked by Fane's <laughs> behaviour. 
work colleague's wife, who's not in the slightest interested in this issue, volunteered having heard that show. She said, I think that's the worst interview I've ever heard Fane give. He was a disgrace. I mean, to liken, to liken the desire to be allowed to choose what you wear on your bicycle to being an anti-vaxxer or a climate change denialist, I mean, for goodness sake. Australia, New Zealand, the United Arab Emirates, these three shining lights of bicycle culture are the only places in the world that do this to adults. And we're the climate change deniers who say there's something wrong here? Hello. Look, I've, to be quite honest, I've found the ABC to be r one of the worst organisations to deal with in relation to bike helmets. I find they have what I'd call a parochial consensus, which they share with the College of Surgeons and the AMA. It's a parochial consensus based on some strange idea of Australian exceptionalism, that we've got this right and the rest of the world's just waiting to follow. Well, they've had quarter of a century to follow and they haven't done it. Look, there's a number of areas that Australia gets its, uh, gets its proverbial knickers in a knot over. Bike helmets just happens to be the one uh, I've got interested in, possibly based on my experience of becoming targeted by the forces of law and order when I'm actually a terribly decent, hard-working, responsible family man who pays my taxes and does all the, all the good things. You're listening to 3CR Radio. I think to, to return to what I've described as this parochial consensus, I, part of it is actually based on a complete unwillingness to disentangle two completely separate issues. Now, I'm just going to say a very short thing about what's known as the efficacy of bike helmets. This is where you talk about, are they effective in reducing the extent of your injury if you have a crash? Well, of course they are, but not much. There are other things as a cyclist you can do that'll have a much, much bigger effect. The first of these is slow down. Speed's the greatest factor. For a cyclist, speed is the most significant factor in the extent of any injury you'll have if you have an accident. So having said that, the bike helmet is a relatively minor one. Doesn't even come up in the OECD's top 12 recommendations for how to make cycling safer. But uh, in Australia, we've become obsessed with that and we haven't answered the bigger question. And that question is, do bicycle helmet laws make cycling safer? And the answer to that is a fairly unequivocal no, they don't. Cycling didn't become safer pro rata in Australia as a result of bicycle helmet laws and it hasn't become safer in countries where they encourage the widespread use of bicycle helmets. The safest places in the world to ride a bike, in fact the safest place is our old friend the Netherlands and I will talk about the Netherlands. Safest place to ride a bike, nobody wears helmets. I mean join the dots, it's not that difficult. And of course <laughs> People are always coming back to me, oh, this isn't the Netherlands, oh, we're not flat. Somehow we don't have a good climate for riding bikes, but they do where the wind blows nine months of the year and it's raining two days out of three. Somehow the Dutch manage it. I don't buy that argument, but let's go somewhere that Australians can relate to. Let's go to New York. I don't think the Australian notion of New York is as of a, you know, bike-friendly place where everybody's cool and rides around with baskets and baguettes on their bikes. But they've got a public bike share in New York, and they've done 25 million trips on the flipping things. They haven't had one death. I mean, that's a death rate. I know you can't 
count from no deaths in 25 million, but that's a safety record actually equal to the best you'll get in the Netherlands. And that's been found to be the case across bike share schemes in North America and, U and Europe. If you get enough figures from them, they've got a fatality rate of about 1 in 20 million trips. And that is an incredibly safe form of cycling. You'll never make cycling 100% safe any more than you'll make getting out of bed 100% safe. Our question is, why have you concentrated in this tiny little area which really, really annoys people who want to ride a bike, instead of actually making it safer if you think there's an issue? So my challenge to the AMA, to the College of Surgeons, to the whole, to the whole crowd of them is, what have you done to make cycling safer? And what have you done to make more people ride a bike, which is so good for you? If you ride a bike instead of driving a car, it's been estimated that the benefit to cost is in the order of 60 to 1. But the AMA don't want us to do that unless we're wearing a helmet. How narrow-minded can you get? We've organised what we're calling a helmet optional ride. On uh, Saturday the 18th, we are having a ride starting at the Green Park Cafe, 815 Nicholson Street, Carlton North, on the bike track there, at 11 in the morning. We'll be riding mostly on off-road bike tracks. I think we have to cross a couple of roads and we've got a couple of very quiet streets that we're, we'll be going down. We'll be winding around for six kilometers. We're expecting the ride, we're slow and there'll be talking. We're expecting the ride to take the best part of an hour. I'll talk to people at the beginning of the ride, explain the legal situation. Uh, we are, if you ride without a helmet and don't have an exemption from Vic Roads, you will be breaking the law and people should be aware that we're not actually telling people to break the law, but we're encouraging people to come along and experience this with us. We have liaised with the police. Uh, at this stage they have indicated they're not interested in attending and obviously we don't have any guarantees that a uh, passing patrol car might not take an, an interest in us that we'd prefer that they didn't. But look, in the past we've organised rides like this in, in Adelaide and in Sydney. In these, on these occasions we've actually had police escorts. They've wanted to treat us as a, as a protest and therefore they'll escort us while we do it. A ride like this that we had when we launched Freestyle Cyclists four years ago, the police at that stage just said, we don't want to know about you. When the ride's over, don't ride back out on the street without your helmets. So I think the police are going to take a... I hope they'll take a sensible approach to this. It is, after all, a demonstration of public protest, and as such, it is a political act. And I hope we still have some political freedoms in this country. Surely we have the one to protest about riding a bicycle. And that's all we've got time for this week on Yarra Bicycle User Group Radio. Thank you to Rishi, Ben and Steve for coming in today. And uh, just quickly, uh, we had some very sad events over the weekend in Yarraville with a young woman losing her life, riding her bike, going visiting her friends. I believe there's a ride on today in memory, but I haven't got the details. But uh, check for Je uh, Senator Janet Rice had a couple of good articles last week, plus another one to do with this situation. So please look those up. The podcast should be up later today or tomorrow on 3cr.org.au. And please, please, please don't forget to subscribe or donate to 3CR to keep us on air. I'll see you in about a fortnight. You hear from me in about a fortnight. And up next is Dirt Radio.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.